you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Amen. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Happy Easter, everybody. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. Amen. I just want to keep on singing, man, and worshiping, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, But I'm excited about continuing on in worship because... As you guys know, worship isn't just the, the songs, even though that's one of my favorite forms of worship. And I can't wait to worship up there with you guys and the angels in heaven. That is going to be amazing. But uh, I think in these moments like we experienced this morning, it's almost like these little pictures of what we get to experience. And I can't wait. Um, so with that said, I'm excited about continuing on in worship as we dive into the text. But before we dive into the text, I've got a couple questions for you. All right. And here's my questions. First off, who in here likes riddles? Does anybody, like, raise your hand if you like riddles. Okay, there's a lot of hands. Okay, all right, all right. So I got another question for you. Raise your hand if you're good at riddles, all right? Because you might like them, but you may not be, like, no hands. Okay, Any, okay, all right. So I got a riddle for you, all right, especially those of you that raised your hand. And even if you didn't, just, just kind of participate, all right? Need a little participation. Here's my riddle for you, all right? Some try to hide... Some try to cheat, but time will show we always will meet. Let me say it one more time. Some try to hide, some try to cheat, but time will show we always will meet. What am I? Yes, okay. If you're thinking indigestion, by the way, that's not it. And I know I, was, I started to go there. I looked at the answer. I'm like, nope, that's it. Yeah, but somebody said it. I think it was Adam, death. You guess death, that is the answer. It's death. And as I was uh, diving into the text this week, getting ready for the sermon and doing some other research too, I stumbled across this riddle. And I thought it was really interesting because it really expresses the inescapable reality of death for us all. And I know that's not something that we like to talk about. It sounds morbid, but but the truth is, as much as we don't like to talk about it, and you know, maybe we even try to hide from it or sweep it under the rug, like, oh, that'll never happen. That's going to be a long time from now. The truth is, guys, every one of us has a- an appointment, so to speak, with death. We all do. And the big issue with this is we don't know when that appointment's going to be, do we? When we don't, like for me, I'm about to turn 33, so it could be like 50 years or so from now, or, or it could be when I pull out of this parking lot with my family to go to lunch. I'm trying to be morbid. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know, and neither do you. But here's the, here's the deal. Even though we don't know when that appointment with death is, we do kind of have a, a bigger picture idea of what to expect in ways when we arrive at this appointment with death. We may not know the little intricacies and exactly what will happen, but we do have a bigger picture idea. And the thing is, um, in that appointment with death, it's going to look very different for some of us than it will for others. What I mean by this is, is this. For those of us that are Christians, that are followers of Jesus, redeemed by the blood of, of Jesus and the cross in our place, not in perfection, just in obedience to His will, for those of us that are Christians, that appointment with death is going to look more like a funeral. Okay? It's going to look more like a funeral. But when I say it's going to look more like a funeral, hear me, I'm not saying that it's going to look like our funeral. That's, that's not what I mean. That might, 
might be what you're thinking, but that's not what I'm saying. Our appointment with death as followers of Jesus Christ is going to look like a funeral for death, which is why the title of the sermon today is Death's Funeral. Because through Jesus, hear me, through Jesus, we have victory over death. That's a big idea today. Through Jesus, we have victory over death. That is good news, amen? That's good news. And we're gonna find out how that is, why that is as we dive into the text. But before we dive any deeper, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for what you've done for us by sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. You are the reason that we are gathered here today. You are the reason that we have breath in our lungs, that we exist, period. You are the reason that we have any hope, any future whatsoever. You are the reason that we are here today. You are the one that we are worshiping, that we are exalting. You are the only name that is to be lifted high in this place. And we thank you so much. We thank you for the life, the gift of salvation that you've given us along with the victory and the freedom that it brings. And I pray, Jesus, if, if anybody does not know you, has, has not accepted your invitation into this relationship with you, the salvation that you died to give them, along with the victory and the freedom that it brings, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do that, that work, that miracle of salvation that only you can do. I pray that you do that right here, right now. I pray that you would help people to respond, and I pray that you help all of us to respond to this in some way. Every single one of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over I pray that you work through me, a broken, sinful man. Do what only you can do. Speak to me and speak to your people. Teach us what this means. As we focus on the resurrection, teach us what this means, how powerful this is, and what this means for our lives, not only uh, forever and eternity with you, but right here and right now as we walk out of these doors today. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible or smartphone, whatever you got, uh, go ahead and turn or click to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be at today, 1 Corinthians um, 15. And, and as you're getting there, just know that this is the most comprehensive chapter on the resurrection of Jesus along with his victory over death that exists in the entire Bible. That's what we're going to be diving into today. It was written by the Apostle Paul. These are his words. Let's dive into this, starting with verse 1. Paul says this. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel. Notice he's talking about the gospel. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now something that we need to understand as we approach this text, and the context, the backdrop of this, as Paul writes this letter to these people, the Corinthian people, thus the name Corinthians, um, these people really struggled with this idea of life after death. They really struggled with that. For them, they could believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You ask them, hey, who's your Lord and Savior? Hey, Jesus Christ. 
Who died for your sins? Jesus Christ. They would say, yes, Jesus did that. But they really struggled with this, this idea of the resurrection, this life after death. To them, that was crazy. It's like resurrection? What are you talking about? That doesn't happen. Like people don't just come out of the grave. That, that doesn't happen, right? But here's the deal. There were, there's a couple of really big issues with that, with that mindset. This idea that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But, but as far as the resurrection bit, I, I don't know about that. One of the big issues with that is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus, the literal death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, hear me, that is central to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. It can be described in four words as Jesus in my place. And check out what the Apostle Paul had to say that, about this. This is verses 3 and 4. He says, For I passed on to you as most important. And let those words sink in. Most important. Remember the first couple of verses he talked about the gospel. Now he's talking about the most important parts of the gospel. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. In other words, what Paul is saying in here is that the most central aspects of the gospel, the things that everything in this gospel message hinge on, is the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you take out that one thing, just the resurrection of Jesus from this gospel message, this good news of Jesus, the entire message crumbles. And I've used this, uh, this illustration before to kind of help us wrap our, our minds around that. Um, who in here has played the game of Jenga before? Raise your hand if you played the game of Jenga. Or you've heard of it. Okay, most of you. All right, all right. Okay, so the game of Jenga, really simple. You got a bunch of blocks. You take the blocks, you stack them up. I'm gonna knock that thing over. You take the blocks, you, you take the blocks, you stack them up, and you build a tower, okay? And then if it's your turn, let's say you go, uh, you're the first person up, you pick one block, you can only touch that block, all right? And your, your goal is to try to get that block out. You poke it, you grab it, you pull it out, and that's it. If you, if you do that successfully without the, the tower falling, then the next person goes. And you keep on going around and around. Everybody does the same thing until somebody finally pulls a block out. The whole thing crumbles. All right? That's Jenga. So imagine with me uh, you have a Jenga set. Okay? It's already set up. Tower Jenga. All these little blocks. Every single block represents one aspect of the gospel. And that's it. Just one. And there's one block that's the resurrection block. And we're going to place that block right in the middle of that tower, okay? And then you go up. It's your turn. Nobody's gone yet. You're the first person, not been touched. And you're like, I'm going to get that one. I'm going to get the resurrection block right there. So you go. You haven't touched anything else. Nobody else has. You only touch the resurrection block. You start poking it. It's coming out. Then you pull it. As you begin to pull it out, the entire thing crumbles. That's what Paul is trying to, to help these people, the Corinthians, along with us today as the readers see, is that, listen, this isn't something that you can just put to the side. You can't just table this the resurrection bit and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins, but this resurrection bit, I don't know about that. Listen, that is central to the entire message. Without it, it everything crumbles. Paul even says in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, go read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians 15. He even says that if um, the dead are not raised, if the resurrection is not true, then our entire faith, everything that we believe as followers of Christ, is worthless. He literally says it's worthless. And he says that if, for those of us that actually believe it, 
if it's not true, the resurrection isn't true, he says that we should be pitied more than anyone else. And then he goes on to say again, that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. In other words, live it up, do whatever you want today, for tomorrow we die. Paul's words, not mine. And those are some really strong words from one of, if not the uh, most influential evangelist of all time. And it really brings us to this pivotal point in our faith where we're forced to wrestle with this, knowing that, okay, this isn't something we can just put to the side. We, we have to deal with this. It's like if the resurrection isn't true, then our faith is worthless. So this better be true. Right? It better be true. If I'm staking my life and my future on this, my salvation on this, this better be true. If not, everything else is a lie. Because here's the thing. We could talk about all kinds of different parts of our faith and proof for it. We could try to dig down deep and try to find proof for, you know, maybe like the validity of, of the Bible, the validity of, of Scripture, for example, you know, we could talk about, well, well, you know, okay, is the Bible, can we believe it? Is it true? We could talk about that, which, by the way, the Bible is literally, there's more proof, more validity for the Bible than any other ancient document in history, period, known fact. And not just a little bit, thousands and thousands and thousands, 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 keep on going, times more proof than any other ancient document in history. That's why you can't throw out the Bible. People try, but you can't do it. If you throw out the Bible, you have no choice but to throw out every other ancient document in history, period. So we could talk about that on the proof. Wow, that's amazing. Or, you know, we could talk about uh, the accuracy. Like, is it really accurate? You know, the ancient text, and what we have, is it really accurate, right? And we could talk about Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. You know, we could pair, the, for example, the New Testament, ancient documents of the New Testament, and what you have, a lot of you, in your hands today, and what you just read on the screen. And we compare them side by side. And then I could tell you that, catch this, this is crazy. I could tell you that, um, and this is a fact, that it's 99.5% accurate. 99.5% accurate. Like, let that sink in. That's nuts. And by the way, the 0.5% variancy, it's not, a, it's not an issue with the content or the message. It's an issue with, like, literary mistakes. Somebody forgot to dot an I or cross a T, or somebody misspelled a word. That's the 0.5% variance. So we could talk about that and the overwhelming proof there. We could talk about one more thing, too. We could talk about the overwhelming proof for the literal life ministry, the effects of the ministry of Jesus, along with his trial and his death through crucifixion. We could talk about all that from these ancient historians, several of them, not one or two, several, who were very uh, well uh, respected and known in their day and age, lived somewhere around the time of Jesus. By the way, they weren't Christians, meaning they had no reason to write about it. Overwhelming proof. We could talk about all those things and have these conversations all day long about all the overwhelming proof. But hear me, hear me. None of it matters. Not one shred of evidence matters if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true. But here's the thing. You ready for some good news? It is true. 
It is a literal proven fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul has proof, and not just a little bit. Hear me. Paul has tons of proof. Check this out. Same chapter, chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Paul says, and that he, talking about Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to Cephas. Who was Cephas? That's the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over five, think think about this, over 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them, by the way, are still alive at this point in time. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. In other words, what Paul is trying to tell us is like, look, guys, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. This is true. This actually happened. And think about the backdrop of Paul's life. Think about this. This is the guy, the dude that literally was seeking Christians when he was a Jew, before he became a Christian, hunting them down to persecute them, bring them back, and have them killed more than anyone else. He was more zealous, more passionate about seeing Christians persecuted and killed than anyone else. He requested special permission to go to Damascus to keep doing it, and they gave it to him. And then he saw Jesus with his own eyes. His life radically changed. That's why we talk about the road to Damascus experience. It was radical. This dude was the equivalent of like the leader, a leader of ISIS coming to Jesus and then being like the next Billy Graham or more. That's, that's what happened with Paul. He's like, I'm not making this up. Why would I do this? And now I went from persecuting Christians. Now I'm one of the most persecuted ones. Read about his life and what happened. It's nuts. I'm not making it. But if you don't believe me, don't take my own words for it. That's okay. You don't believe me. Hey, go, go ask Peter, the apostle Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, Peter. If you still need more proof, go ask the other 12 that are still alive. Minus a Judas, right? Minus Judas. But go ask them. The people that did the most life and ministry with Jesus for three years. If you still need more proof, by the way, there were over 500 people that all saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. By the way, most of them are still alive. Go ask them. Still need more proof? Go ask the rest of the apostles. It wasn't just the 12. Those were just the most intimate. There were other ones. Go, there were a lot of them. Go ask them. If you still need more proof, if you still need more proof, go ask James. Go ask James. And the fact that he mentions James is the most significant piece of evidence that he gives in this because of the fact that these people are still alive. When he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, they're still alive. It's even more significant than the over 500. Why is that? It's because of who James was. James, hear me, he was the younger brother of Jesus. Mary's son, James. That's who he's talking about. So here's the thing. He's literally saying, if you still don't believe me after everything else, go ask Jesus' own family. Go ask James. By the way, Mary, his mom's probably right down the road. Why don't you go ask her too? Guys, listen, if this had been a lie, if this had been a lie, this would have been the easiest lie in history to debunk. Think about it, the easiest. And it would have never caught steam. It would have never gone anywhere. People would, have, would not have taken the gospel series, this message of Jesus, life, death, burial, uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus. 
and they would have never taken Jesus Christ himself seriously. But here's the thing. As it stands, over 2,000 years later, here we are talking about the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just in this room, all across Morgan, Morganton, all across this state, all across this country, all across the world, over 2,000 years later. And to this day, the Bible is still the most popular, most purchased book in history. As listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It is a literal fact. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a story that we tell ourselves and our kids to make ourselves feel better. It is true. We can have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't care who you are, man, that is good news. That is, that is the best news we could ever get. And it carries with it this question, okay, the resurrection is true. That is awesome. That is incredible news. So what does Jesus Christ's resurrection mean for us? Like practically, what does that mean? Because that's great news, but what does that mean practically for you and for me here, right now, today? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's check out what Paul has to say about that. Same chapter, chapter 15, verses 21 through 21. Paul says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive. So what Paul's trying to tell us here, in a nutshell, is this. Sin comes through Adam. Genesis 3, you can read it. Fall of man, sin comes through Adam. When sin enters the world, what happens? Repercussions of sin, struggles. You guys experience it. You guys, we're experts on sin, right? We know that. You don't, you don't need me to tell you this. But what happens? Struggles, pains, heartaches, anxiety, uh, control, all these other things that happen as a result of this sin that is eating us away like a cancer inside, from the inside out. But the worst effect of sin of all is the separation that we experience from God. It's the worst effect of sin that we experience. And why is it that we experience that separation? Because God is holy. He's holy, he's just, he's perfect, he's righteous. And what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is imperfection. It is literally direct disobedience. It is high treason against the God of the universe. That's what it is. And some people have this question, like, why can't God, he can do anything he wants. The God of the universe made the universe, everything in it. He can sustain the universe and everything in it. What is the big deal? Okay, I made some mistake. Why can't he just sweep it under the rug? Here's why. Because this misconception about what God can do. Yes, God is the God of the universe. He can do anything that he wants. He's God. Except for one thing. There's one thing that God can't do. What is that? God cannot contradict his own nature. His identity, which is righteous, holy, perfect, and just. If he did, if he swept sin under the rug and didn't worry about, ah, not a big deal, what would he not be? He would not be righteous, holy, perfect, and just. Therefore, he would not be God. So this idea that God can sweep this under the rug, listen to me, in love, that is not, that's just ignorant when we know who God is. And what happened, listen to me, 
the separation, what we have to understand is, yes, we were, you know, God was separated from us because of the chasm, the separation that sin created. But it's not just that. We were separated from God. That's what you have to see. And as a result came death and the fear of death with it for every one of us. That's why Paul says, in Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. But he doesn't stop there, does he? What does he say after that? He says, in Christ, all will be made alive. All will be made alive. Meaning what? Meaning that through Christ's completed work on the cross, when he died for every one of our sins, past, present, and future, he then extends the opportunity, the invitation for us to receive salvation. He has bridged that gap, the sin created between us and God, and he extends the opportunity to every single one of us to find salvation for our souls along with the victory and the freedom that it brings for every single one of us. And it's only because of Jesus in our place. Which is why Paul can say at the end of this chapter, death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he says, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? And by the way, he, when he wrote this, this is kind of like poem form. So when he's writing this, he is literally taunting or like making fun of death. That's what he's doing. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is, sting, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Why? Because it's true. Because of the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why it is not in vain. And through Paul's words here, listen to me, he's telling us that through and because of Jesus in our place, not only do we find salvation for our souls, but because of what Jesus has done for us, hear me, we no longer have to fear death. We don't have to fear death anymore. And this victory over death, which by the way, it's not talking about just Jesus, he's talking about our victory over death. Hear me, it is not just a future um, hope that we have, although it is, but not just a future hope. Our victory over death because of Jesus is a here and now present reality. For every one of us that belong to Jesus, you don't have to fear death anymore because death fears you. Because it has no control, no power over your life whatsoever because of Jesus. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not in perfection, just in simple trust and obedience, then hear me. Death is dead to you because of Jesus. Death is dead to you only because of Jesus. But here's the thing. Death is only dead to those of us that truly belong to Jesus. 
that have truly surrendered our life over to him as Lord and Savior and are following in his steps. So if you're here today and you have, you've never responded, you've never accepted that invitation that Jesus Christ extends to every single one of us, then hear me, I want to encourage you, do not leave today. Please do not leave here today without accepting that invitation. Because listen, Jesus not only died on the cross for your sins, every one of us, past, present, and future, there is no sin that is too great or too powerful uh, that Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection cannot cover. It doesn't exist. But not only did he do that, the word tells us that he stands at the door and he knocks, meaning he waits patiently. He doesn't force this on you. Why? Because of love. He doesn't force it on you. He invites you into a relationship. He invites you to respond and receive the salvation along with the freedom and the victory that he died to give you. So you're like, all right, man, I want that. What is that? I don't know what I got to do. What is that? What do I do? And if that's you, listen to me. Here's some really good news. On top of the other really, really good news. It's simple. It's very hard, but it's also very simple. Because Jesus has already done the hard work for you. All he asks for you to do is simply accept the free gift of grace, of salvation that he died to give you. An example of that, when we pray, it's just talking to God. That's it. It's just talking to God. Saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I make some dumb mistakes. And I know, I see that my sin, it's direct disobedience, high treason against you. And so Jesus I'm sorry for what I've done. I believe that you are God in flesh. I believe that you came into the earth to die for my sins, to take my place. So thank you for what you've done. Please come into my life, save me, and make me new. That's it. There's no magic prayer. You're not going to find a prayer for salvation in the Bible. It doesn't exist because it's personal. It's between you and him. And one of the amazing truths about the gospel is the fact that, again, for one, there's no sin that's too powerful that the power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ can't cover, but also when you pray that and when you mean it, Jesus Christ will meet you right where you're at and he will save you right where you are at in an instant. In an instant. And so I'm gonna be down here in just a moment and, and I'd love to talk with you. If you're making that commitment, please don't wait. There's nothing to wait for. Don't wait. And again, and it's not a scare tactic. We don't, know when that appointment with death is. I'm just being real, man. I'm not trying to scare you. It's just true. Don't wait. And when you respond, don't wait to tell someone. Tell us if you have questions. I'll be down here in a minute. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, answer questions. The altar will be open. But before we do that, before we close for, you know, in a time of invitation, reflection, and response, there's one more thing that I want to hit on. Because death's funeral is not the only funeral that we're having today. Because here's the thing. Jesus Christ did not come to the earth to die on the cross for our sins just to give us victory over death. Jesus Christ came to the earth to die for our sins to give us victory and freedom over our sins. Not just in heaven, but here and now. Freedom and victory over our sins. I mean, there's some sins that need to die today. And every one of us, not just some of us, including myself, there are sins that need to die. 
and me. And every one of us have that opportunity. All we have to do is let go and let God. That's it. Let go and let God. Not in perfection, just in trust and obedience. What I'm saying is this. Listen, if you are tired of some of those sins in your life that have been weighing you down, bogging you down, that you have been a victim to in your life, you do not have to leave here still carrying around those same old sins anymore. You can choose to surrender, give those things over to Jesus, and walk out of these doors and the light, the freedom, and the victory that he died to give you. You can choose to do that today. Every one of us can. No matter what it is, it, anger, bitterness, uh, frustrations, um, a, a, anxiety, addiction, whatever it is. So if you're wondering, how, how do we do that? How do we do that? First, trust. Trust in the power of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And then choose willingly to take those sins, whatever those things that are weighing you down, take those things, nail them to the cross. Give back the sins that you robbed from him because when he died to take those things, listen to me, they belong to him. So give them back to him. And then when you walk out of these doors today, you leave them here and you walk in the freedom, the victory that he died to give you. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. 
and it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.